Hello and welcome to our At Any Rate Emerging Markets Focus podcast, the place for us to discuss recent developments and key issues of focus in the emerging market fixed income asset class. I'm Johnny Goulden from the Emerging Market Strategy team here at JP Morgan, and I'm joined by Saad Siddiqui, also from our Emerging Markets Strategy team. Saad, thanks for joining. Hi, good to be here. So with a lot of recent volatility in markets and a lot going on at the same time, including the need for us to educate ourselves on hitherto peripheral parts of the global financial system, we thought we would simply just look at some Q&A on how this has and we think should impact EM assets in this podcast. Yeah, so the last two weeks have seen a focus on the stresses in the US and the European banking system. It's driven risk premium across all global assets and EM bonds have been uh, no uh, no exception to that. Johnny, should our outlook for EM markets now include the risks of uh, banking stresses or a crisis like we last saw during the global financial crisis of 2008? So for EM, I don't think we need to or are assuming this. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of regulation put in place since then for the financial sector and lessons learned by authorities in terms of quick and effective responses. We've seen some of that in the US and and, uh, Switzerland over the last two weeks. But just because we might not see the worst financial crisis in living memory also doesn't mean that the outlook is a supportive one for EM assets. And our base case really follows uh, our US uh, economists in assuming that we're heading towards a US recession within about six months, with credit tightening in the overall economy, probably the major implication from that banking sector stress for us, so not the stress itself, but really the impact uh, on the economy. And that economic downturn will likely be bad enough for EM assets without a contagious banking crisis. I think we also accept that there is a risk that we have unknown unknowns, as we talked about last week, at this time in the cycle, often after large Fed hiking cycles. So there should be some risk premia um, in in EM assets, and that risk premia should be higher than it is at the moment, we think. Maybe seen another way, the path to a soft landing for the US economy that allows the Fed to cut without a recession, which is something the markets were hoping for, Earlier in the year, that looks to have narrowed uh, more significantly. Actually, that was acknowledged by uh, Chair Powell in the FOMC press conference yesterday. So a few weeks ago, we were still expecting a slowdown in the US, but we weren't expecting clearly the type of financial market stresses that we've seen uh, over the last couple of weeks. So if EM assets performed as one would have expected, uh, given the nature of the shock we've just been through? So since the stresses in the US banking system started a couple of weeks ago, actually returns on major EM fixed income indices have been positive. That's actually also been the case across other risky fixed income markets, credit markets, let's say, with returns in the quarter to two and a half percent range. Major equity markets have only been down one to two percent in the US and Europe. And so uh, that's hardly a crisis move. In fact, after today, it's going to be even less than that. Part of what's been going on for certainly fixed income is the fall in US rates. So you're around 50 basis points lower in 10-year and over 100 basis points lower in two-year US rates over that period. And so actually US Treasury has been the best performing asset class um, up over three 
three and nearly three and a half percent and they've outperformed but they've also helped actually fixed income including em bonds risk premia though in em has risen and uh, em sovereign and if we look at local markets as a spread to treasuries you've seen actually uh, that risk premium rise about 55 basis points since the banking stress in developed markets appeared. Uh, EM corporates, where obviously you have banks as part of it and started from lower spreads and nearly 65 basis points wider. Uh, and that puts the magnitude of that spread move somewhere in the middle of where uh, developed market high grade credit and high yield credit have moved, which have all seen uh, spread widening. So at this stage, this all looks quite reasonable. This is not an EM-centric outlook uh, crisis uh, at the moment. It's not where we think this started. And so what we're really seeing is EM risk premium rise sort of in sympathy to beta and global risk factors. That's what we've seen. And actually, that's what we talked about last week. We would expect to continue seeing that as well. Um, so maybe let's delve a little bit more, Saad, into EM itself. Obviously, there has been stress in some parts of global markets. Are there any signs of stress in EM itself? One way to measure stress in emerging markets when we get uh, these types of shocks that we're seeing right now is to look at what's happening in the cross-currency basis market. Now, that sounds like it's a little bit of an esoteric uh, niche market, but actually we should just think about this as the relative cost of uh, raising dollars, because when you have uh, times of stress, um, you see deleveraging, you see uh, hedging going on as well, and effectively the price of raising dollars increases um, for EM, um, you know, versus EM assets. Now we have seen over the past uh, few weeks that cross currency basis in emerging markets has widened. Um, it's widened, uh, particularly in EMEA EM countries and in some Asian markets as well. But the level of the, the basis to begin with wasn't suggesting any stress, and the widening has also been relatively modest compared to other previous episodes when we've had uh, a big flight uh, to safety. Now, there is one thing that's different I think this time around versus the other period of stresses we've seen when it comes to the relative cost of getting uh, of getting dollars uh, in the FX swap market. Uh, first of all, we saw uh, that during uh, during the COVID crisis, uh, the Fed extended temporary FX swap lines to a number of of markets, including some EM markets as well. Now, that was a relatively small club of emerging market. So that did get access to the to the Fed swap lines, but nonetheless, uh, it was indicative of uh, a pretty kind of decisive uh, policy response when dollar financing and, and funding uh, freezes up. The other thing is that EM central banks right now have uh, generally uh, adequate FX reserves. They're much healthier than they have been uh, on the on the eve of previous. Uh, periods of of market turmoil, and we've seen that EM central banks are very proactive in using their FX reserves uh, in response to market volatility and market shocks. We saw a lot of that happening last year, when especially Asian central banks and LATAM central banks as well, for that matter, um, were 
uh, running down FX reserves uh, in order to, uh, you know, to provide some, uh, you know, dollars to the market at a time of of stress. So, you know, I, I think um, as far as that channel is concerned of stress, we should expect to see um, that reacting like it usually does. But the magnitude of the reaction we're going to see is probably going to be mitigated by some of the factors that I've just mentioned, you know, proactive use of FX reserves. The Fed also, I think there's an expectation that in a, in a really bad case scenario, in a real crisis, you'd probably see the Fed using the toolkit that it used during COVID and to, to provide uh, dollars to, to EM. So that should provide some comfort um, uh, to, to market par participants. The other bit, Johnny, is the fact that the nature of the of concerns right now is really credit focused. It's not really a balance of payments problem that leads to a big demand for dollar financing, at least uh, in the initial phases. So are we seeing stresses from developed market credit markets spill over into emerging markets over the last few weeks? Yeah, so the one part of, of credit and, and certainly in sovereign credit that we'd expect to see some of that stress reappear is in the lower rated or distressed EM countries. And the reason for that is, you know, really what we're, we're thinking about here is tightening financial conditions through credit channels and as that happens, the ability of these countries, which really need financing to muddle through in scenarios um, and meet those debt obligations that they have to repay, that's going to get more difficult. And uh, that's obviously going to impact those lower rated countries who have those more acute repayment needs and also less ability to look at other sources like domestic financing. And that's what we've seen for the last couple of weeks. Actually, this segment of the market coming into the year where the market thought about soft landing and the ability of maybe um, financing to be more available. In fact, it was available early in the year. Um, that part of the market actually performed quite well. But over the last couple of weeks, we've seen much more pronounced weakening in the lowest rated bits of the EM sovereign market. Um, when you look at, for example, spread returns, you'll see is much worse performance in those. Now, there is a mitigating factor here, particularly for the most, most distressed part. So let's say triple C rated bonds. And that's that last year, they already had a significant underperformance. A lot of those bonds are uh, starting with or not starting, but going through restructuring processes. Uh, just to give a number, there's an, they have an average price in triple C of about 30 cents on the dollar. So obviously the ability of that to fall much further uh, has some limits. There's probably therefore more downside in something like single Bs, which are have an average price of 80, um, where they can start getting tipped into those lower rating buckets if we're thinking about a period where global financial conditions are going to be tighter for a bit longer. Uh, there's also, if you look at the corporate sector, been some focus on um, obviously banks and uh, some of the 81 bonds that they have. Even in emerging markets, you've seen financials underperform the broader corporate universe, as you would expect, and large spread widening in some of those 81 bonds, which we have in, in emerging markets as well, in sympathy with the way they've traded uh, in, in the, the global sector as well. And what's happening in the primary markets for emerging market sovereigns? Have they been impacted as well as market volatility has increased? 
Yes, but it's probably too early to say anything concrete or talk about how persistent that is. So in the week of the 17th of March, EM sovereign issuance, having been extremely strong this year, fell to zero. I, nothing got issued in the week when US banking stress started. And that's a natural consequence of that uncertainty. But it is difficult to extrapolate how much uh, that's going to continue. First, we saw a record-breaking level of issuance in January and strong so far this year. So a slowdown is probably quite natural anyway. And second, actually, this week, which is the second week since this market volatility started, primary markets did open again, only for one deal, but it did happen. So um, I think it, we should probably assume that as credit conditions globally tighten, volatility uh, increases, that primary market access is going to get more difficult, certainly than it was at the beginning of the year for EM sovereigns. We saw that last year, uh, and that will put pressure on those um, uh, lower rated parts of the market where their ability to avoid defaults is sort of tied to their ability to muddle through with market access to some extent. And that's probably helps explain what we talked about before, why those sectors uh, have also seen some of the, the worst performance in the last couple of weeks. So let's talk then about another part of the asset class side and, and talk about EM currencies. What explains just how resilient they've been over this period of stress, which has seen risk premium rise in other parts of emerging markets? So we are more defensive on EMFX and that has been on the view that the stresses we've seen in the last few weeks, they herald the beginning of a new chapter in this uh, you know, end of cycle phase. And it's a macro regime that's consistent uh, with kind of the left tail of the dollar smile, whereby the dollar is prone to appreciating uh, on kind of a safe haven demand. Um, that's uh, opposed to the dollar appreciating because the Fed is hiking. And, and what you find is that um, when there's that safe haven demand for the dollar, that left tail, um, as, as I referred to it, that tends to get uh, you know much more kind of extreme types of moves uh, of, of dollar appreciation. So that seemed to be playing out um, for a few days when the stresses initially um, hit, uh, but it's been relatively short-lived, uh, as you as you point out. Uh, and most of it has already been reversed after we've seen, you know, pretty decisive regulatory action in response to the stresses um, and the relatively dovish message we got um, from the FOMC uh, has, you know, further reinforced the recovery of EM currencies and, and led to a bit more uh, dollar weakness. So I think there's two lessons to take on board from the experience of the last couple of weeks. Uh, first is it seems, at least for now, that um, EM currencies are more sensitive to interest rate differentials than they are to you know potential tail events uh, or kind of, or to credit risk. Um, that could still change, and you know we should expect it uh, to change in the coming months as uh, a natural consequence. That when you're just later on in the cycle, you know the credit risks just become more. Uh, important uh, than you know your traditional interest rate differentials and driving currencies, um, but you know we're not quite there yet. Uh, the second 
lesson I think we should take from this is that let's not extrapolate it uh, too much, you know, because we're still in very uncertain times. Um, other types of shocks could be and and um, you know unknown unknowns, as you put it, could be uncovered in the coming weeks. And look, it is a characteristic of these late cycles that stretch the stresses that we've seen. They do tend to flare up uh, with regularity. And the next time we see one, it might not be as uh, easily extinguished. So the bottom line for EMFX, I think, is you do have asymmetry. If you have calmer waters, if the market just views what's happened in the last few weeks as just a bit of noise and we return to where we were, then we need to reprice the Fed more hawkishly. Uh, and that would drive uh, dollar strength um, because you know the interest rate differential are still you know very important. But if we were to see further accidents down the road, I think it'll become increasingly more difficult for the market to stay uh, resilient uh, in the face of uh, you know further acute stresses in in the banking sector. And I think the path in between those two extremes uh, is looking now increasingly narrow. But could you argue that conditions for EM currencies are somewhat different to some of those other previous periods of weakness that we refer to? Yes. So in last week, we discussed the lack of structural long-term positioning in EM assets and EM fixed income. So the kind of large-scale capital flight and deleveraging that you might have seen in previous crises uh, is just not going to be there. You know, investors have not been piling into emerging markets in the last few years. In fact, it's been it's been uh, you know quite the opposite. So you don't have that overhang of positioning. But it's not just um, positioning here that I think is is that we're, what was what we're talking about. But you know, I think the initial conditions uh, of EM right now are quite a bit different to say the mid to late 90s, 2008, or even the taper tantrum, because past episodes of large EMFX depreciations uh, were, for the most part, preceded by long periods of trend dollar weakness in the lead up to the crisis. Um, and that trend dollar weakness is what facilitated an overvaluation of EM assets. It facilitated a building up of leverage long carry trades and a general sense of complacency. And is that complacency that you know, gets popped and you get your Minsky moment uh, and, and the rapid unwind of, uh, of, of all that complacency and of mispriced risk premium. But the past decade has been quite different because what we've seen over, the re over, over recent years is predominantly trend US dollar appreciation. Um, so there are no obvious bubbles to burst, and um, you know I'm not sure that we get that type of Minsky moment driving the big um, outsized type of depreciations in EM currencies. There's another point I think worth mentioning here, which is that if you you know cast your mind back to the episodes of the mid to late '90s, the GFC, and so on, you know the big major liquid EM currencies, whether it's MEX peso, BRL, ruble, uh, in those previous periods, those currencies were either very heavily managed or actually uh, in hard dollar pegs. 
And a lot of the big depreciations you, we've seen in EM currencies is from pegs breaking and monetary regimes having to change. Um, but right now, if you look at the GBIEM index, we don't really have uh, any hard pegs amongst the major uh, currencies. I mean, there's a handful of small, um, you know, there's a small handful of managed floats uh, in Asia, for example, uh, but by and large, they are backed by ample FX reserves. Uh, so to answer your question, there are differences this time around, but those differences, I think, sh should inform how we calibrate the size of an EM depreciation. I don't think they change the direction uh, that we're going to be heading in, in the next um, months and quarters. Got it. So let's finish then uh, with rates markets. And do you think the reaction that we've seen in EM rates so far has been reasonable? We've seen uh, generally short end of, of uh, rates curves um, falling. Uh, is that something that you would expect and, and think will continue? Yeah, that's right. So we've seen you know, the short end of the US curve, two-year rates have fallen by almost 100 basis points. Most EM curves have rallied and steepened um, in sympathy with what's been happening in the US curve. To my mind, that's entirely reasonable. It's reasonable because you've had a disinflationary shock, all else equal. It means um, you know the path for the Fed is a bit more dovish, and that opens the door for EM uh, central banks to also have more breathing room and to cut rates. You know, it's something that a lot of central banks have been itching to do, I think, in the last few months, but they haven't had a window to do so. So lower rates, steeper curves, I think is reasonable. Some people, however, might point out that, well, in past instances, when you do have these kind of financial or banking sector shocks, in fact, what you see is EM rates sell off and they trade more like credit. Uh, and um, the fact we haven't seen that this time around is an anomaly. Um, what I would say is, again, it goes back to the, you know, what's different this time around in terms of the policy architecture, the initial conditions that mean we don't, we shouldn't really expect an exact rerun of what we've seen in past uh, kind of episodes of, of stresses. And I think the COVID, um, the COVID crisis was, you know, a bit of a watershed moment in that because you had EM central banks letting their currencies go and they didn't really uh, react uh, by hiking rates or going, you know, or implementing pro-cyclical policy in response to that. Some of that was because starting point for inflation was low granted. Uh, but I do think, at least in the major EMs, currency depreciation no longer has the same type of financial stability uh, risk that it did in the past. And that goes back to all the things we've discussed um, before in this podcast and other publications about how EM governments have generally switched to local currency debt and you know, EM banking sectors don't have you know, large FX mismatches. Uh, on aggregate, et cetera. So I think, you know, expecting a similar type of um, reaction going forward, if we were to see big shocks, is is the right thing to expect. Uh, but we should also expect probably a bit of underperformance of EM rates to US rates um, in, the, in that kind of scenario as well. They won't be able to maybe cut as much or the market might need some more risk premium versus US rates. Thanks, Saad. And that brings us to the end of this at any rate, JP Morgan Emerging Markets Focus podcast. Thanks, Saad. 
for joining us today and thank you all for listening. We hope to have you back in with us for the next one. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to Jake Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on the 23rd of March, 2023.